We're all a bit hard on ourselves these days. No wonder mental health problems are at an all-time high. Georgia Murch's answer is to accept our imperfections and learn to be ourselves. Flaws and, flaws and all. Flaws and will make you laugh, it'll make you cry, and you realise that you're not on your own. Learn how to be flawsome by your next read. Flawsome by Georgia Merch. Is it good being you? Oh, we're starting with the biggies. Yeah, aren't we? We are. It's actually all your flawsomeness. Yeah, I know. It's interesting that you asked me this because I would have said maybe six or seven years ago, no, maybe even slightly less than that. So, um, and I think in general, I, I probably sit with many of the people in the universe because we're so damn tough, tough on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the thing that I've learned through working in the space that I work in, which is feedback and how teams unite and work together. Is you that, are the feedback queen. I, thank you. I've heard you referred to the feedback queen a lot of <laughs> times. I think, wow, it'd be great to be anointed as the feedback queen. I know, right? I wasn't even self-appointed either, so yeah. I'm happy with that. Yeah, you must be good at it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, but the thing I've realised is that the we we think we need to make peace with all that's good in ourselves uh, but when we actually make peace with the whole of who we are, including the things that oh, embarrassed about, ashamed about, wish we didn't have, wish we didn't do, that's where the peace sets in. So I'm okay with me. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I hurt people. I, you know, I I can make, you know, bungles when I'm working with clients and it's okay. Yeah. And, and I guess that's the whole gist of Flawson. Um, for those that don't know, George has released a fantastic book. It's called Flawson. And it's uh, the journey to being whole is learning how to be holy. I love that. So it's good. So but not holo with a, not, not holo with a. No, holy as oh, in. I can't even speak. Not <laughs> I've made a whole word. But it's, it's, it's a fantastic book. You must be so proud because it's. It's just an absolutely fantastic read that everyone will get something out of. Um, yeah, it's funny actually. You know when you've got, you know, are you, are you a parent, Luke? Yes, I've got a daughter. Yeah. She's 18. Okay, cool. And so, you know, there's this, this you know, uh, unsaid thing that happens sometimes when you're a parent, when you've got more than one, is that you might have a favourite and with <laughs> yourself or a minute to others or, you know. But there's always one that's a bit easier than the yeah. rest and you love them less. But, like, for me, you know, I've written three books and and this one is absolutely my favourite. Right. So, yeah, and it's I not just it. because it's the newest? No, no, not at all, not at all. Sometimes, you know, like giving birth, you can get to the end of book and go, God, I'm glad that's done. Yeah. But this one I was like, oh, I still want to play with this. This is good. Yeah. No, it's great. No, I've... I read it and just went, wow, this is beautiful. You've pulled from so many different places. Um, you know, tell it, one of the stories you tell is about um, broken Japanese pottery and who would have thought we'd ever find inspiration from that. But tell us the story about uh, Kintsukuru. Oh, you even said it well. Did nice. I say it right? I yes. actually checked that on Google. So. There's quite a few ways to say it, but you did well. So, um, or Kinzuku for short. So um, I was in Japan a couple of years ago. Remember when we could travel? Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah, and took my ungrateful teenagers with me. But um, (laughs) Do we need to spend some time talking about parenting? (laughs) 
Hey, that's why we have wine. <laughs> so, and and then I was in these shops, and there was astronomical astronomical prices for these, um, like a crockery that had like they were broken everywhere. They had these, you know, ridges in all of them. But and then when I talked to the shopkeeper, she explained this concept that. In Japan, it was many centuries ago that, you know, the emperor's favourite crockery and cups were broken, so he sent them away for repair and they came back badly put back together and one and then he sent it to another merchant and he actually repaired the crockery with gold, like actual gold. And they when they came back, the emperor's actually loved them even more and it became this whole concept that the culture embraced that we're actually more valuable when we show our imperfections rather than hide them yeah it's great isn't it oh gosh isn't that so cool yes it is it is we my wife and I were talking about this the other day when we were talking about the book and um she decided to do a little bit of a reconnaissance of my body and I'm a I'm a, I'm a different sort of looking dude and uh, I'm a little bit pigeon-toed. I've got knock knees. I've got big hips. I've got a funny thing in my chest. I've got a, a muscle missing in the top of my chest. I've got no chin, strange neck, big gap between my nose and my lip, droopy eyes, and I'm going bald now. This is a So she rattled through all of these and she reckons that God made me just to see what I'd look like. <laughs> but she loves me she loves me lots I love her and uh, yeah he didn't make another one but we're we're really happy how this one turned out flaws and all and I guess that's part of flawsome isn't it to not be at war with your flaws and to and in some ways you talk about how your flaws can draw people to you can you can you tell us a bit more about that yeah, so one of the things that I, when I was researching this, and I spent a couple of years researching it and talking to, you know, hundreds of people around how they make peace with themselves or how they don't make peace with themselves. And I came across this concept called the pratfall effect uh, by Elliot Aronson. And it's this concept that um, they initially did this study around why do people choose to go with one professional over another. And so they, you know, they did this rant, like they had doc- doctors and those doctors, they had, a, you know, two different groups. The first doctor would come in and um, work with the potential patient around their diagnosis and how they could help. The second group, the patient would come in and talk to the, di- the doctor about the prognosis and how they could help, but they would spill their coffee. Right. And those people, the 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 clients, oh, the clients, you know, the patients actually made a decision to go with the doctors more that spilt things because they looked human. Right. And it's like from, the Gumby effect, isn't it? Everyone right? likes Gumby and Gumby's a Gumby. Right. Um, so from here came this whole concept that people are actually more drawn to our imperfections than our perfections because we're believable and there's a vulnerability about our humanity rather than when we're absolutely perfect around what we say and what we do and how we look and all those types of things. So it's kind of it gives other people permission to be at the same time. Yeah, okay. I've got a massive confirmation bias going on. So I love this because I'm a Gumby as well. So It's a fantastic thing, isn't it? And I I really love the way that in all sorts of ways that you talk about, because you are the feedback queen, as we've established, that some of those, if you can change your flaws to be something good, it it becomes a a way of giving feedback to yourself. 
Yeah. And how, how do you sort of help people go about sort of improving their, their self-talk and how they, how they give feedback to themselves? Uh, I reckon just as a, like we're, we're kind of in this environment where let's be positive, you know, let's reframe and let's think about it in a different way and, you know, and all that. And that's, that's not bad, but what I find is that it takes us away from embracing exactly who we are and what we are. So part of the process of embracing the whole of you um, is kind of like there's kind of three three steps. You know, one is we've got to understand who we are and how we respond to stuff. So it's actually really good to spend the time looking at the things that trigger us, the things that set us off into these sort of fight or flight or stress responses because these moments that we have where if you say something offensive to me, Luke, I can either arc up and I probably will, you know, that's that's the merch in me, so I'm a fighter by nature. Right. And so or I could shut down and not give you anything. And so for me, there's a moment right there and then to go, what is it about what you're saying or who you are or whatever button you're pressing for me that I can learn about myself rather than pushing against and making you wrong or blaming you or denying that there's even a problem in the first place. So that whole space of actually learning to understand yourself is the first stage of your flawsome journey. Right. So just... Being able to say I often go this way when that happens, which way do I want to go? Right. So, you know, like I had this situation yesterday, you know, and and I'm, you know, I I just went through that. You know the moment when you you, you say something and you can see it coming out of your mouth and you're like, no. Pull it back. Pull it back. Yeah, but even after you say it, you're still, your ego's too big to actually still apologise. I had that right. moment yesterday. Okay. So, you know, it, without giving the context, it was a guy who was coming over to help, um, you know, we've got an issue with the pool at the moment where I'm staying. And it, he was just chewing the fat, telling me about things. And then we got into this, he was talking about a, min- a, a minority group of Australians and how they're drug addicts. Right. Which is not just, I don't believe to be true, but based on socioeconomic groups that we hang out in these Bayside suburbs, they often do believe that. And so I just went straight away, I don't want to have a racist conversation with you. Okay. So you basically just called him racist. Yeah. Okay. And and then he said, it's not a racist conversation. I said, oh, I feel like it might be. So can we just time out on that one? And, um, and, but the way I said it was. Look at that both ways though. It's not the content. It was the intent. So I was there to sting him and I wasn't there to listen. And I wasn't there to learn and understand. I was there to have a crack because he triggered me. Mm. And the thing for me is now I see those as beautiful learning opportunities because if I didn't see it as a learning, I could be irritated at him. I could be making stories that everybody still thinks this way. And I missed out on an opportunity to learn around why he thought the way he thought. How would you do that again if you, if you had the same, same thing happened again? Yeah, and so for me, I think this whole concept that one of our colleagues, Digby Scott, talks about a lot is this, you know, being curious. Like mm-hmm. the minute I've stopped being curious That's about another person. My shirt. <laughs> nice. I've even got it written on my shirt. I'm that into curiosity. So. Okay, awesome. So this our colleague of ours, Luke Mathers, talks about. <laughs> 
Um, is this whole, like if we are curious about our responses, if we're curious about where the other person is coming from, we add to our pool of truth rather than diminish it. Yeah, and nice. there's no way to learn when you're not curious because all you're trying to do is enforce an opinion or shut down and not share. Mm-hmm. So if I had that time again, I would go back and go, okay, that's really interesting. Where's that coming from? And I actually don't even need to defend my position either. Mm-hmm. So, you know, but so, and I suppose I'm sharing this too to say I, I'm going to have stuff about me that I'm not proud of for the rest of my life. But the difference in terms of how I process it now is I won't be ashamed because then I hide. I will go, what's the learning? Right. Yeah, John Kavanagh, who's um, Conor McGregor's coach, um, wrote a book called you, you Win or You Learn. And Love I it. guess it's along that same sort of lines, isn't it? Yeah, that it is. uh, he just lost recently, but um, I'm sure he's learned something from it as well. And I guess when you have that curiosity and that becomes your curious, curiosity becomes a default, then a lot of that sort of happens rather than the, the default of attacking or whatever your sort of one is that gets you into more trouble. Yeah, and I think when you see the the attack or the retreat, there's a signal to learn about yourself and the whole flawsome journey is actually going, okay, what is it about myself? How do I react? Don't live in shame about it. Mm-hmm. Learn from it because it's okay because we all do it. And what is it about me that that I feel like? Like for me in that moment, the trigger for me was um, not the person, he was a lovely guy. You know, it was I had an injustice trigger. So how dare you think about people like that, you know, the injustice yeah. of it. And so in, injustice can be used in a really good way. I chose to use it by stinging. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess find, having that self-awareness to find those triggers and, and uh, I would think I call doing a pre-mortem that yeah. when when this happens, I'm going to go to this and I've made up my mind that that's how I'm going to go. And so when it does happen, it's not stressful and it's not worried. I just go that way. Yeah. I guess it's a matter of how do you get people to almost do a like a trigger audit, if you like, and how, how do we go about doing that? Yeah, so there's six triggers that we typically have that can set us into these fight or flight responses where we either, you know, attract or retreat or blame somebody else for how they said it or what they said. And so, you know, when we're in that space where what I call below the line because we're not learning anymore, so how do we Mm -hmm. move above the line, which is the curiosity space? So, yeah. Is that that your defining thing? Below the line, you're not learning above the line you are? Yeah. and so a great way to look at it. Isn't it right? So because it kind of helps me reframe in the moment to go where am I sitting above or below, mm-hmm. you know, and also in the book too, you know, there's a whole lot of behaviours that you can see that are below the line compared to above as well so you can self-identify. So, you know, but how do I help people or make people go through mm-hmm. the trigger process? It's not my job to do somebody else's learning. So. Right. My my role, if you like, is to inspire and have no attachment to whether somebody else chooses to go on it or not. Because here that, it is, have it if you like. There it is. Care. If you don't, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. A bit so like Amway. Some buy, some don't. Who cares? Right. Slightly <laughs> different, but yes, I love it. <laughs> I'm not saying you're Amway. Yeah, no, no, I get what you're saying. Um, So, yeah, in the book there's kind of six triggers that you can go through and sort of audit, but also you look at what are the things in life that are stressing you out at the moment 
Like mm-hmm. I get people to do this little name five things in work or life that are causing tension for you, whether right. people know that you've got that tension or not is irrelevant. What are those five things, whether they're people, um, content, decisions, whatever it may be. Yeah. And from that you can start unpacking and going, okay, if they're my five things, what am I being triggered in within those five things? Yeah, okay, what sets that one off? Right, yeah, because I know one of my triggers um, is delivery. So if somebody speaks to me or somebody else in a below-the-line way, either a bit of passive-aggressive or just plain-out aggressive, um, I can feel myself wanting to, like, either protect them or have a go, It's you know, or just want to get the hell out of there and not play with this person at all anymore. Yeah, okay. It's like, okay, Georgia, you first. So for me, the whole flirtsome journey is me first. Mm-hmm. What, 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 what role am I playing in this to help the whole situation be more above the line? Right. I love that. One of the ones that was below the line was denial. Yeah. And, yeah, denial's, yeah, it's not just a river in Egypt. Um, <laughs> I knew you'd say that. <laughs> did you? Yeah. One of my flaws is I use stupid puns when they're, when oh, they're available. Do it. So you've got to use them if they're there. But there, there, there's something about denial that it, it's something that we, we just cling to. And, and how do we sort of catch ourselves with that? How do we find our denial triggers? Oh, right, right, yeah, how do you find your blind, which is essentially your blind spots, right? Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and so people don't know they're in denial. This is mm-hmm. this is the really challenging thing about this space. But I think once you start becoming more open to who you are and how you come across and essentially your ripple effect, because that requires quite a lot of vulnerability, right, Luke? Yeah, like, it does. Oh, my God, so I, I've got to admit that I am not awesome with everybody and I don't always have a good impact whether it's my intent or not like I think about um, myself for years one of the things that people always used to say to me when I was leading teams or organizations was um, Georgia you're passionate you're excitable but you're you really intimidate people Mm -hmm. so this was a theme that came uh, across a lot and in the end I was like but I, I want people to have a good experience and I'm all about them when I'm in the moment. But then when I started hearing again and again, I was like, actually, they're, they're, and I was on the, the flawsome journey, I was like, there's got to be something in this. And then I started getting feedback specifically around how I can intimidate people. And, you know, one example was I was in this group learning environment around a table and one of the, um, you know, the students at that table had said something and I had snipped back with, well, if you read the curriculum, you'd right. be aware that it's this, this and this. Yeah. And that little passive aggressive is what intimidates people. Yeah. Okay, I didn't okay. want to own it. Until I started seeing the examples, I was like, oh, my God, I do do that. And what is that about? So, and I w- I'll tell you, Luke, like I... I did a little death inside. I was so upset that I was that person because I finally made, I finally went, I'm going to stop being in jail and I'm going to acknowledge it because. Can you repackage the good parts out of that to be something else that actually. Does it have to be good? Here's my question. Can't it just be, can't it just be that, oh, okay, yeah, so there's some good things. I was there, I was serving, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah, no, I do that. Okay. 
I do that. That's okay. I don't want to deny it either. So I want to sit in it and and understand it and be with it and go, yeah, okay, cool. So I don't need to reframe. I can just be. Right. So it's sort of getting rid of that sort of having to be positive about everything. Yeah. I live in a place called Lukeland and, yeah, that, that's kind of part of the constitution of Lukeland that you've got to find the positive in everything. And I'm, I'm trying to learn not to. Yeah. Um, it, it's, I actually read a, another book. Uh, it's a really simple little book called Useful Beliefs. Oh, I love Chris Hedler. Yeah, love he's great, isn't he? I, yeah. actually, I actually got hold of him and, and ordered like 30 of them and I've given them to heaps of clients and heaps of friends. And it's been, the mo- it's been a fantastic book. Yeah, and and he so does a little bit of that. We have this belief we need to find a positive out of everything. Yeah, yeah, and you yeah. kind of don't. It's there, there's another thing I've actually got it on the screensaver of my phone at the moment, and it's to be comfortable with discomfort. Yeah, and you you touch on that quite yeah. a, a little bit in in Flossum as well, and I love that concept too. So, okay. how, how do you help people be comfortable with discomfort? Um. So I'll, I'll answer that, but I want to backtrack to the how do you get a positive out of that circumstance? Yes. I think the positive is owning it. Okay. I think the positive is going, oh, my gosh, I see it now. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Go me. Um, and I think the positive is what's the learning and what's the work that I need to do on myself so I do less of that and have the experience of being with others better for both of us. So there is a positive. It's just I don't need to spin that situation that happened into something positive. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so sort of in, embracing the fact that that's part of being me and... Yeah, go me. I'm loving yeah. it. Yay. Okay. Go, girl. You know. I, get up, I get up racist pool cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, like, the, the, um, the, what's positive is that I'm sitting in my discomfort. Yeah, okay. Positive is that I'm getting okay and being vulnerable enough to admit that I am imperfect, that I can make things difficult for others, that I can make things difficult for myself. And, um, oh, gosh, I was just reading yesterday about, oh, I've forgotten the name of the law, but there's this professor from Harvard that came up with this concept that sometimes in order to create change, things need to get worse before they get better. COVID. he would Look how say, many awesome things have come out of COVID. Just, right? Yeah, and he would say, in fact, if you want any um, noticeable or um, um, good change, that they do have to get better, do have to get worse. Mm-hmm. And so in that circumstance, in order for us to grow, sometimes the discomfort, which feels worse and it feels like we're going backwards, is actually exactly what we need in order to propel us into growth. Yeah. So it's this whole Brene Brown stuff, isn't it? So you It know, is, isn't it? I, I love her work. That it's one of the books is about imperfections. I think the you quoted it in your The Gift of Imperfection. And isn't that a lovely title? That's Beautiful. almost as good as Flawsome. Yeah. It is a, that Beautiful. gift of imperfection. I got so many gifts. It's great. <laughs> um, but one, one thing I, I want to just touch back a little bit on some of the stuff that you did before Flawsome. And as someone who's owned business for a long time, I struggled with giving feedback. Mm. And is, is there a couple of nuggets you can give anyone that's listening that struggles with that? I know there's a massive conversation. We might have it for another day, but just a, a little thing to be able to sort of, is it a be comfortable with discomfort and give the feedback anyway? Uh, so firstly, you are like every other human on the planet. So right. welcome to being okay. <laughs> Nice. Thanks. 
Yeah. In so many ways I'm not, but that's okay. You are. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we're all diverse. You know, the main thing that holds us back from having um, giving feedback, having the difficult conversations with other people is the F word. Right. Am I allowed to say it? Yeah, fuck off. Go for, go for love. It's fear. <laughs> all right. Okay. No worries. Yeah. So it's fear. And so it's, and there's kind of, there's, you know, there's a, there's a multitude of fears, but I'll give you the main ones and you can kind of see doing your own recce. And for those that are listening, if you think about somebody in your world that you would ideally love to give feedback to, but are scared of, you'll be worried that the relationship's going to get worse or the relationship will suffer. Mm-hmm. We, we're fearful of conflict. So we yeah. either avoid it or we love it a little bit too much. There was another line in your book that said to get comfy with conflict. And I really yeah. love that one. So yeah, yeah. Snuggle yeah. up with it. It's the birthplace of change, conflict, but, you know, conflict is good. Combat is not. And yeah. so we often reconcile conflict and combat as the same things. But they're And anyone listening to this, when you read this book, there are nuggets like that everywhere and they're in bold print in the middle of the pages <laughs> and stuff and they're fantastic. Sorry, I'm... Disrupting you, keep going. Good, Luke. Thank you. Um, the the other fears that we have is fear of managing the other person's emotional reactions. So, you know, if they cry, if they get angry, if they shut down, like what do I do in those circumstances? So, you know, a lot of those things can create inaction in us to be able to move forward. There's other things, but they're kind of the main headlines. And you know, I think the thing that I find most comforting, and I know others do too, is this whole thing around people hear your content. So they hear your words, but they smell your intent. Right. And so if you are coming from a good place when you go to give somebody else feedback, that's that's what they'll remember much more than your words. So when we do the work on ourselves and where we're coming from, if we're coming from a place of helping them grow, if we're coming from a place of trying to understand what's going on for them, they'll smell that and we'll be able to sit in a much better place. But, again, that's kind of doing the work on you, isn't it, right? Yeah, it is. Am I there to win? Am I there to tell them off? Am I, Or am I there to share what I know but also to hear their truth? Yeah, okay. I love that. I love I love the analogy of it's a you know, they'll smell your intent because smell is one of those things that goes straight to your limbic brain and it actually goes straight to that old part of your brain where all of that fight and flight lives. So to be able to smell that properly and and deal with it well. I guess that, that comes back to some of that self-feedback you talk about in the in the book as well. That we've almost got to come at ourselves in a place from a good place as well. Yeah, look, just I, mean, I think Flawsome, when I was wrote, you know, we talk a lot in corporate around high performance, got to have mm-hmm. a high performance team and a high performance culture, and I, I know I'm all for it. But I think in order to create high performance, you also have to create high acceptance. Yes. So because then you're not creating a lot of the reasons around why conflict exists in teams, in marriages, in relationships is this um this tension that we create within ourselves around how we should be, how we come across. And so when somebody else gives us a perspective that is not how we see ourselves or not how we want to be seen, Mm -hmm. that's where the tension rises. Whereas if we're in a place where we're all going me first, let me look at the role that I'm playing 
And I am actually prepared to own the role that I am playing, even if I disagree, but go, okay, well, help me understand that tension decreases. Yeah. And so curiosity, doesn't it? It, Completely. Yeah. yeah. And that's where you actually get high performance because you're not arguing around stuff anymore. You're having healthy disagreements around issues, not each other. It's fantastic. I love it. George Merch, it's this is a great book. Anyone wants to get it, Flawsome. It's absolutely fantastic. You get it in bookshops, stores, Amazon. It's all over the place. Yep, all the good shops. The world is a better place when people become Flawsome. If you'd like to make Flawsome by Georgia Merch your next read, go to majorstreet.com.au and use the code YNR to get your discount. I'm Luke Mathers, and thanks for listening to Your Next Read.